Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Linda Cotton Jeffries, the author of Picturing the Dark. After surviving a dangerous attack in the spring, August finds Audrey Markham facing her attacker's trial at the same time her friend's baby has been kidnapped. Desperately searching for clues with her friend Detective Rodriguez, they know that the statistics are against them. Audrey wishes for her assailant's trial to speed ahead while simultaneously hoping to stretch out the time they have to locate the tiny infant. She attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and taught special education for over 30 years. Her novels, We Thought We Knew You and Who We Might Be, were published by Fifth Avenue Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Seeing in the Quiet was published by Sunbury Press. Strong women, suspense, and romance are the elements she most enjoys writing about. Linda, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I know this uh, Picturing the Dark is the, the second novel that you've done with us, and you had the two prior ones. Um, maybe give us um, a little bit of an overview of Picturing in the Dark. I'm intrigued by this infant that's kidnapped. Um, one of our books a little while ago was about the Lindbergh baby. That was nonfiction, sold very well. And uh, so kidnapped uh, children, especially taken from a crib, are traumatic not only for the family, but also, you know, play in the media. And so I think the kind of suspense you have in here would thrill just about any reader. Well, I like the idea of, um, I had a friend who called the, the fellow who, who arranges the kidnapping an accidental felon. He's someone who has good intentions. He want, He's not trying to sell a baby. He's not trying to hurt it. He's trying to uh, find a baby for his wife who's desperately longing to be a mother. And so the idea, a, a number of ideas came together. The idea of multiple births are much more common now. Um, so it was, uh, he uses the idea of that, well, they've got another one. This baby's a twin. Um, but I also threw in a little bit of the um, ransom of Red Chief idea and that she, the woman who takes it accidentally takes uh, the one with colic, the difficult baby, not the <laughs> sweet one. <laughs> so I just tried and threw in a, a number of elements, um, but also tried to also capture what we see so often in the closeness between twins and how the one infant misses the, the sister quite a bit. Yeah. So I guess where did this idea come from? Is there anything in your personal life or anything you experienced that got you into uh, writing about this topic? You know, I haven't been able to think of anything that did. <laughs> My children are all grown. I've got some grandsons, but they're no longer infants. Uh, so I'm not quite sure where it came from. I think in large part, in the first book, in Seeing in the Quiet, the fellow who attacks our main character is just bad from the get-go. And so when I began writing this book, I wanted, um, I don't even know if you would call him the villain, just to have a different origin story. Someone who's not trying to do ill, um, but someone who's trying to... Um, you know, help someone in a kind of a twisted way, but not the villain that we had in the first book. Yeah. So I guess it's good to hear that you personally weren't kidnapped or haven't experienced kidnapping <laughs> no, in your family. No, don't even have don't even have twins in the family. <laughs> I see. 
Okay. So where is where is this uh, novel set? This um, whole series is set in Pittsburgh. And um, although I live in Michigan now, Michigan doesn't really have any cities that are the size of Pittsburgh, sort of a smallish city, um, sort of small town and city com- combination. Um, so it's set there. And I um, was looking for, a, you know, a young woman who is um, making her way in the world. Um, but I didn't want to attempt to write about any of the really big cities. I'm just not familiar with them. Yeah, so are you. So P- Pittsburgh's a place I went to as a child. My father was from there. So I uh, sort of pulled up a few of those ideas. Interesting. You know, one of the things that we're doing as a press, uh, we have the Catamount Press imprint, which is Northern Appalachia. And, of course, Pittsburgh is the hub of that. We just had a conference out in Pittsburgh. And three of our five, three of the five finalists for Book of the Year were published by us. So I was really stunned by that, you know, our growth, the growth of that organization. But uh, hearing this Pittsburgh connection for your novel makes me think, I know it's not out under Catamount, but we should probably (laughs) let them know about it. So let's let's delve into the Pittsburgh a little bit more. Um, Are there a lot of elements of the town in this, or is it just more scenery? One of the... um well, when I visited there, a couple of things struck me. One is that I think in many ways it does have a small town feel. It's, it's sort of built of neighborhoods, and I like that a lot. And on a visit there, um, we, my husband and I did a culinary tour in the Brookline neighborhood, and I just loved the look of that neighborhood. And so I chose to put uh, Audrey's friend Rod's house there in those beautiful hills and the, the tiers of houses that work their way up the hill. Um, and I like that quite a lot. I also liked the um, courthouse building. So I didn't know too much about um, the. My hotel actually happened to be right across the street from a courthouse. So my husband and I walked over and all the security, it was near the end of the day, and the security guards were very friendly. They were all joking around and, oh, this one's a former policeman. This one's a former uh, detective. Don't you want to talk to him? And then when I told him what sort of case it would be in this story, they said, oh, this is the wrong courthouse. You need the older one. And which is really a magnificent old building if you've seen it. Um, And I, in the book, I compared it to the castle and the beauty and the beast because it's made of these huge blocks of stone and it's, it's just a stunning building. So those are some of the Pittsburgh elements that I thought were really stood out to me. So is Audrey Markham a Pittsburgh resident or is she from? Yes, she's, she's from that one of the suburbs and um, is living in inside Pittsburgh as she's building her uh, wedding photography business. Plus, there's all sorts of beautiful settings to to have weddings in the city as well. I've always been struck by Pittsburgh's beauty. It's skyline, uh, you know, the rivers, Mm -hmm. the mountains. It really, the first time I saw it recently, it it, had been about 15, 20 years. And uh, as I've always driven by it on the uh, interstate and not gone through it, but recently, I've had to come up in, in two events there, and yeah, it, it's stunning. It's a beautiful city. It seems it's very com- different too. Yeah, it's, it's very different compact. from other places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a, a smaller city, but with taller buildings. <laughs> <laughs> like if you could take Harrisburg and put skyscrapers in it, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, so that, that's cool. Now, is uh, Seeing in the Quiet also set around Pittsburgh? It is, yes. Right. It's the same character, Charles. It's, um, we meet Audrey. In that book, we meet Audrey as a child growing up in Pittsburgh. And then she goes to work for the – she's trying to make um, money to pay the bills while she's building her business. So she gets a job as a photographer for the Pittsburgh Police Department. And that the precinct house that I imagine her working out of is right near, in the downtown area, well, near where the rivers come together. Linda, when we come back, we'll get more into the first book and how they connect. This is the Sunbury Press Book Show. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors. If fiction, whether historical, murder mysteries, or spy thrillers take your fancy, check out Milford House Press. Releases of interest include The Physics of Things by Ginny Fight, Checkers on the Hill by Doris Wilbur, or Stephen Greer Williams' Thera. Also, the Alexa Williams series and her two-volume travel memoir, Beyond the Sunset. Explore by clicking on the Milford House tab at sunburypress.com. I'm talking to Linda Cotton Jeffries, the author of Picturing in the Dark and also Seeing in the Quiet, two novels based in Pittsburgh. And uh, I guess we could say these are like the beginning of a series, maybe? Linda, is, I know, book one, book two, or... They are book one and book two, and it turned out there's also a book three, which I'm working my way through the editing now. When I wrote the first one, I didn't know there would be three, but I liked the character so much that I kept going, wanted to see how they were going to grow and change. And But it's definitely ending at three. It's not going to okay. be a longer series than that. I think my characters would be running into the pandemic and losing their jobs if I uh, did a fourth one. So we're going to stop at three. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's just take a high-level view of one and two, and then we can talk about where you think three might be going without giving away too much. Yeah, it's, that's hard. That's the, the line I walk. So my main character is a woman who grows up um, with a keen eye for detail. That's one of her um, main characteristics. Her father calls her the DLR girl. Things don't look right. So she's always noticing that. But she also grows up with hearing loss. And as that loss um, becomes worse, and she begins having to use hearing aids. And then we meet her again as a young woman. And I try hard not to make the hearing loss the point. It's part of who she is. Um, Hearing aids are how she gets through her day, how she gets through her job. But it's to me, it's not a story about um, disability or different ability. It's just just who she is. And um, But I wanted that underlying the story um, throughout the series. Yeah. So a couple of people that I have that help me with it are speech pathologists who help me to make sure that I get those aspects of the books right. Right. So, I mean, looking at your background, 30 years in special education, so can understand how that's being tapped here. Um, And I, I always felt like the kids... Very often they had other strengths. You know, there might be a difficulty in one area like this character has, but, but so often there were other kinds of strengths. It just blew me away. I, I was always impressed with the kids that I worked with. Yeah, I, I know very little about this topic, but I'll just give you sort of my ignorant view from, as someone who was a student, say, in, in school and high school, Seeing how, at least now we're talking in the 70s and early 80s, how it was handled in the public school system. It seemed like you, sometimes some of the children were mainstreamed 
with the classes I was in, but most of the time they weren't. And the ones that weren't, now that I look back and knowing a little bit more, it seemed like they just put together a lot of very different children with many, many different um, concerns all into one room. So now I'm imagining you doing this for 30 years. I can only imagine the variety of things you had to worry about every day. Maybe you could kind of touch on that a little bit. Well, over the time I taught, you know, it was an interesting time. I I began teaching in the 1970s, which is when the public law changed. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the beginning of education. I mean, for for many years, children with special needs were just kept at home. They weren't schooled at all. They weren't provided with any education or they were uh, shut away in institutions. Or um, I, I remember seeing a sign that's above a, a classroom for special needs kids that said, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. What a horrible thing to put above a schoolroom for children. But that changed. You know, the, the law changed and services for special needs uh, children continue to change and continue to be more and more part of the mainstream of education. And the more that um, general educators learned about techniques for working with special kids, the better general education got as well, because it's just good learning, good teaching. Um, But through my career, you know, I dealt with uh, kindergarten through high school. I spent most of my later years in the high school, um, kids who are working towards diplomas. But I saw, you know, a pretty good variety of uh, skills and, and difficulties. So it, 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 there was always variety, and I liked that a lot. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember feeling very empathetic uh, over the years with different different people I would meet, and there was uh, an intramural basketball uh, team that I played on, and the special needs kids were allowed to participate with the uh, after school intramural. And there was one really tall kid that was a pretty good basketball player, and we included him, and he really loved that. And uh, we had a lot of fun. He was a pretty good player, and I, I remember that being a very positive experience for the whole team. But then sadly, oh, maybe a year or so after we graduated, he ended up in the newspaper and then in prison. And we were shocked by this. He had killed one of his classmates with a sword for $10 over some dispute, and we were like... That just sounds crazy, you know. How did this happen? What what went on here? So I don't know the whole story, but just remember the uh, the good times. And then I wondered what his what his issues were. Were they just emotional? Were they? Who knows? I mean, there's just how they weren't addressed. Yeah, very very sad. What story ending to the story? But uh, that that was one that really stood out. And. Uh, but anyway, I'm digressing away from your work a little bit. I'm fascinated by and that's very far away from the yeah norm. yeah maybe <laughs> that's another book. book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So uh, no, thank you for for 30 years of tremendous work there in the school system. That's admirable. That I just can't imagine uh, sticking with it that long and and a lot of things. And as somebody, I've been in it for 40 years off and on, uh, different clients and things. I don't think I stayed in anyone's school or or anyone, a client or employer more than a few years. So, 
Well, I think because there is so much variety, you know, it, it, in the high school, I liked it because I would keep kids um, for the four years. I would work with the same kids then as they graduated. Yeah. So that that's a nice length of time to get to know them. But it also means that there's there's change and variety. And I'm not sure I could have taught, you know, the second grade curriculum for 30 years or something like that. So I, I really enjoyed my work. I love the students that I work with. I love the colleagues that I had along the way. So um, getting back to your novel, so where's where's the third one going? Can you give us a little hint about that? Um, so my, I was struggling to think of, of where to go with it, with the story. And uh, my husband, who's uh, always been a good, great cheerleader, said, well, what do you want to say something about? What do you want to, what do you want to say? And I, I said, you know, one of the things that made me most uncomfortable at the end of my teaching career was um, guns, active shooter drills, lockdown drills. I said, if I'm going to say something, I would say something about that and about guns and guns in our society. And so one of the incidents in the third book is a kindergarten who comes home from school and doesn't want to go back because he got yelled at Mm -hmm. during one of those drills. And so um, in this one, there's a teenager who goes missing and an undercover policeman who goes missing. And guns are at the heart of it. Interesting. Well, we'll be back in just a few minutes. We're talking to Linda Cotton Jeffries. Sunbury Press Books offers work by independent authors. Our imprint, Catamount Press, explores literature and creative nonfiction of the Northern Appalachia. The writings of P.J. Piccarello, including the Northern Appalachia Review Series, an annual publication for under-recognized literature. Also check out Dennis LeBaire's Appalachian Gross Dog, a boomer's memoir. Find these and more at sunburypress.com. I'm back with Linda Cotton Jeffries. Linda, um, you started to talk about concerns about guns uh you know it seems like every just about every week there's some something about an incident at a school whether it's a high school a college whatever uh where there's a gun incident and it is i guess all too common so uh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe your, your thoughts on it here. yeah we've had incidents here in michigan recently i just what I objected to it towards the end of my career was was the the notion of um, lockdown drills and active shooter drills and forcing teachers into those sorts of practice situations. I just objected to it. It's just they're not the issue. They're not the problem. The guns are the problem. And so in this third book, um, it sort of takes that that attitude that. It's a big debate in society right now. It certainly is a, a divisive yeah. um, story in our society, but I'm especially happy that um, Michigan right now is taking some steps to try and put some more protections into place. You know, they've had two recent shootings, so I'm really happy that the legislature is taking steps here. I wish it would be in more places. Well, I think it's interesting what you were saying about it. You know, the teachers having to take responsibilities and I can only imagine that those drills are just terrifying even to you It's know. horrible. Yeah. And and I'll make a confession. I knew I was going to be retiring. The last one was a full day one. I went home at lunchtime and never went back. Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't want didn't want to do it. It's yeah. just not why I was in teaching or why I was working with kids. 
it was too just too strange and too wrong in my thinking. It's just not where the effort needed to be put. Yeah. So your your one comment that the issue is the guns. I mean, the, the debate seems to be people who believe that, and then people who believe well, the issue is the people who are. The, the gun can't do anything on its own. It's the person who wields the gun, who picks the gun up and does the wrong thing with it. But I'm then pretty you, upset with all of it. <laughs> yeah, but then you can say, well, maybe there's too many guns or the, oh, wrong, yeah. the wrong people Definitely have guns <laughs> or people are using guns for the wrong reason. Um, all of the above. <laughs> you know, I can tell you as somebody who lives in a more rural area, um, using guns around the, the property for the right reasons when you know, you're concerned about um, varmints getting after your livestock, uh, sure. that My kind of thing. My father was a hunter, yeah. Uh, or, uh, yeah, not, not even. Not using your AR-47 or whatever they're called to well, deal with it, I'm sure. AR-15 AK-47. There you go, there you go. See? <laughs> but right, yeah, no, you don't, you wouldn't use you an assault. You don't need either of those on a farm. <laughs> no, you wouldn't need an, an assault rifle for uh, taking care of a groundhog that's undermining your wall. <laughs> that would be a bit extreme. <laughs> Yep. You know, Bill Murray uh, in the movies, <laughs> some pretty extreme measures. I don't ever see him getting out his AK-47. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's um, – I don't know what the solution is in our society because of our constitution and the uh, divisiveness of the issue. And But when young people, innocent people are dying and there doesn't seem to be a good, a good resolution Wait, to this. Hasn't – um, gunfire now become the leading cause of death for children. I mean, that's just wrong. Yeah. Wrong in every way. Yeah. yeah and as a father and grandfather, just couldn't mm-hmm. imagine it happening in our household. So, let's move on to something more positive. <laughs> My God, we have somebody killing some of the sword, and we got people <laughs> with guns in schools. And, uh, yeah, I'm all about preventing all of that. Yeah, I know. So okay, so. Preventing. So you're out in Michigan now, but you grew up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And as I read in the intro, you know, I'm hosting this. I went to elementary school in Mount Holly. So I know that area. And then to the Carlisle schools before I went away to college. My father was a professor at Dickinson. Oh, okay. He taught biology. Now, did you call Mount Holly Mount Holly or just Holly? Mount Holly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about Carlisle growing up there. I'm not from the region, but... uh, what was Carlisle like back then? Carlisle's a very interesting place because or, or it was when I was growing up. Now it's a trucking center, so I don't know what it's like to live there. But it, at the time I grew up, Carlisle had war college kids, uh, college um, professors' kids, and country kids. That's mm-hmm. what ashed in the in the school when I was growing up. So sort of an interesting combination. The the war college kids would come and go because their parents would get stationed there and then move away. And so you'd sort of make friends, and, and then they would leave. Um, but once in a while, they would come back. A, a confluence that you don't get in a lot of places. So I think that made it a little bit unique. It's a beautiful town, a historic town. Um, it was a lovely place to grow up. Yeah, I moved out to Carlisle in the uh, late 90s, M- Mechanicsburg in the early 90s. So I'm originally from the Reading area. But... Um, one of the things I learned as I studied history was Carlisle was the edge of civilization in the late 1700s, and it really the frontier. Yeah, it was it mm-hmm. was a frontier town back then, and in a lot of ways, it is sort of the edge of civilization in Pennsylvania even today. I don't mean 
in in a real negative way. It's more like because you have the mountains right beyond it, and then mm-hmm. population well, is less dense the, until you get to Pittsburgh. Yeah, right. And it's it's now it's where those where the Turnpike and Route eighty one meet. Yeah, and I think that's why it's become such a trucking center. So and I don't know what it's like to live there now. Well, uh, the but reason it was I, a beautiful, very rural place when I was growing up. It still is in spots, and the reason I am here is because of the distribution uh, came out here to implement warehouse management systems years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm part of the problem. <laughs> but I started a publishing company and look there you at go. There we that go. Time marches on. Yeah. So, uh, what other opportunities have you had with the books? Have you had any chance to speak about them or Yeah. Um, I haven't had um the pandemic's made a lot of things a lot harder. The first two books were published by a, a press that was begun here in my town by my local library. They um, wanted to reach out and support local authors, and so they started Fifth Avenue Press. And um, this was before the pandemic, and so we had um, some really cool book launches, and they would br- invite in the community to the main library. And at that time, I was also working as a um, a coach at Curves Exercise Facility. So I got to know lots of women, and they um, were great supporters and would come to the book launches and so forth. So I've missed all of that during the pandemic and as things quieted down. So I would like to to get some more opportunities to get out. I did apply to be part of a local author group in May um, in a nearby town here, but I haven't heard back yet. Yeah, so... I guess one of the one of the issues is um, living in Michigan, writing about Pittsburgh. <laughs> it does it, you know, it's a little bit out of place. But you do have the experience, mm-hmm. of course. It's not like you're writing about something you know nothing about. But do the makes it a little difficult. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, once you go up to a national level audience, though, it doesn't so much matter. Um, you know, as long as the quality's there. But I would think getting started in the in Michigan that trying to expand out to Pittsburgh and bring that in that interest to that, that group. Um, hopefully you can accomplish that or hopefully we can find ways to get you to Pittsburgh to talk about your book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would love to come back. I, I really enjoyed the visit that I had there. Yeah. So yeah, I I definitely, definitely we'll make the, uh, Wakona it's called the writers of Northern Appalachia aware of these Pittsburgh oriented books and uh see what we can it's do funny, even the the, uh, the first two that i wrote are set in pennsylvania as well i i <laughs> maybe i still feel like a visitor to michigan i don't know that i haven't embraced it as a setting <laughs> yeah well yeah you're you're a pennsylvania author <laughs> living in michigan you're an exile <laughs> yeah there you go an expat <laughs> yeah well linda listen uh we, we just have a minute left uh Share with me the title of that third book, if you would. Do you know it yet? It, it looks like it's going to be called Filling in the Shadows. Filling in the Shadows. So the first one was Seeing in the Quiet, Picturing the Dark, and Filling in the Shadows. Very yeah. good. I'm a photography hobbyist, so getting in those photography terms and I'm learning on my online course. <laughs> Linda, it's been great talking to you today. Look forward. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. We look forward to having you back with that third book when it's ready and wish you all the best. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.